This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oral Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake, somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oral was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission was to create a treatment that treats people with connection and compassion rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is all anybody can hope for when they're detoxing anything. Their amenities are unbelievable. You would not believe the amenities. Fucking sound bath meditation, equine therapy, the fucking spiritually potentially transformative sweat lodge, and Newsweek said... Oro was one of the top five, maybe top three rehabs in the world, definitely in the country. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to Southern California to get help, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. As we all know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Nearly 15 million people in the U.S. have an alcohol use disorder, and that's just alcohol only, not all the other people on drugs. Only 10% of those people get treatment. This can be attributed to the stigma that surrounds addiction and how people don't want to talk about it. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people to be more accountable in their sobriety. Dopey was started with an open and honest conversation about addiction and recovery, and Soberlink encourages this to help rebuild trust and maintain sobriety. We've teamed up with Soberlink to create a healthy habits guide for those in recovery. Visit www.soberlink.com dopey to download that healthy habits guide. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you'll also find a form on that page to sign up for a $50 off promo code exclusive to you guys in the Dopey Nation. So go to Soberlink.com slash Dopey and let Soberlink help you stay accountable to stay off of the sauce. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Dope. What does Dope make? Cookie dough. Delicious fucking cookie dough. And it's spelled D-O-U-G-H-P just in case you were confused. Dope is designed to either be baked into cookies or just eaten safely out of the container raw. The dough also comes in pints like ice cream, but again, it's filled with cookie dough. Who doesn't love cookie dough? 
Their chocolate chip dough is ridiculous. The brownie beast, unbelievable. The cookie monster, so good. I saw the founder of Dope, Kelsey, on Shark Tank years ago. She is an addict in recovery, and like us, she believes in ending the stigma around drug addiction and shining a spotlight on recovery. A portion of every delicious sale of dope is also donated to She Recovers, a nonprofit charity with a mission to connect, support, and empower women in or seeking recovery. Life is raw. Cookie dough helps. Use Dopey15 for 15% off at dope.com, D-O-U-G-H-P.com, or find them in select stores nationwide. The stuff is amazing. If you're going to eat cookies, get it from Dope and support your brothers and sisters in recovery. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Your Sober Buddy. I love Your Sober Buddy. Your Sober Buddy is a sober app that helps you track your recovery time down to the second. The tracker is now free at YourSoberBuddy.com. Post your clean time wherever you post anything. Everyone loves to see how long we've been clean and sober. It's always fun. Over 60,000 people have been using Sober Buddy to help them get and stay sober. I've been using it. I love the sober challenges. My next sober challenge is go to a museum by myself and enjoy it. Go to YourSoberBuddy.com, get the free sober tracker, and post, post, post your clean time. We love Your Sober Buddy. Available at the App Store. Google Play Store, and of course, at YourSoberBuddy.com. A lot of ads this week, but this one is really, really important. It is for an incredible cause called Mobilize Recovery. Mobilize Recovery is going national this September, and everyone in the Dopey Nation should know about it. It's a project really close to my heart. It's a nonprofit organization and a way for you guys to pitch in and help end overdose and addiction in America. Wouldn't that be great? It would be so nice. There's a way for everyone to get involved. There's no cost. There's no hidden agenda. Mobilize Recovery is about you, your community, and what we can be doing together to inspire recovery solutions all across the United States. Here is my friend and yours, Ryan Hampton. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Hampton, recovery advocate and founder of Mobilize Recovery. And I'm jumping on with Dopey today because we need you to help end overdose and addiction, and inspire solutions for recovery across the United States. This September, the nonprofit initiative Mobilize Recovery is launching a national bus tour in partnership with iHeartMedia and Google. And we want to learn what your community, your organization, and your projects are doing to mobilize for change. Help us map the journey across the country. Learn more today at mobilizerecovery.org and submit your ideas to us. There's so many ways for you to get involved and to help us highlight the recovery experience that is so unique in different regions across all 50 states. Go to mobilizerecovery.org to learn more and to help us map this journey. And I hope we get to meet so many of you this coming September during National Recovery Month. Now, before we get into the show, I wanted to... uh Remind you to support us at Patreon. Buy Dopey gear. You wouldn't believe how many pairs of Dopey socks I still have. Uh, message me on Instagram if you want any snapbacks. Fucking Dopey Buddha. Uh, shirts and sweatshirts and tank tops. All sorts of stuff available at dopeypodcast.com. All right. Enough with all these ads. Here is the fucking show. 
welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave, and we I'm in I'm in my dad's house. I'm in the kitchen. We have a very exciting co-host this week. Fucking Riley Walker. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I never thought I'd be in your kitchen. This is exciting. See, we've been planning it, but you never thought you'd actually come. No, no, no. This is just higher power shit. It led me to being in a kitchen in a nice subsidized apartment in New York City. What a beautiful place. He's like, this is a serious New Yorker building. Yeah, I want to get on that fucking list where it's like in 20 years you get a dank spot in like, you know, whatever part of Manhattan. But uh, I'm a transplant here. I'm a total poser. I'm a slave to rent for the rest of my life, probably. How, how is your new, you're from Illinois. How, yes. is, how long have you been in Brooklyn? I moved to New York City about four years ago because you can get drugs delivered right to you. Nice. And what were you getting? What were you getting delivered to you? Uh, mostly cocaine and heroin. In fact, that's all of it. That's uh, 50 50. And you know, because back in Chicago, I always maybe it's changed now. I don't know. But I always had to go to a dude's house like a gangbanger or some fucking like deeply melted sizzled Wook's house to get like whatever I needed. But there was these, you know, uh, New York dopies out there will know there's those tow truck cars where it's like, call this tow truck company, but it's the number of a drug dealer, so I'd get these cards. And I thought it was fascinating that they just bring the drugs right to you. They'll be there in 30 minutes. It's awesome. You want to hear something crazy? Yeah. There's this dude who's a longtime dopey fan. He actually wants to do a dopey documentary. And he got a job uh, working for a, a psychedelic-only delivery company disgusting acid mushrooms dmt dmt vape like and that's all they deliver <laughs> okay so stupid. and somebody on the street like found one you know like like some kind of like you know criminal guy found one of these guys and was like took out a gun and said take me back to the spot and the poor psychedelic delivery boy had to take the robber back to the spot and the robber's like you know, pounding on the door and this and that. And they had to call the police. Like the psychedelic delivery spot had to call the police to, to not get robbed. But that's interesting to me. Yeah, you could say that's really far out. It is really far uh, out. Man. Yeah, but drug delivery service in New York, like, like you know, because I play music, you would think I'd move here for opportunities to like further my career or make connections in the industry, which is, you know, pretty much all based here. But no, it was so I could text a guy at two in the morning to come to my house with dope. And stay home. <laughs> yeah, and stay home and not leave and just like lose my fucking mind in a really small studio apartment. Even when I didn't have a drug delivery guy, I still would have the, the guy deliver. Like I would come up with like a plan. I like I'll pay for your cab. I'll buy you dinner. Just come here. I don't want I don't want to go to you. Just come because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cushy Manhattanite. And it's like that's just the way it's been. Yeah, you, a free ride for a drug dealer in those days is a lot of incentive to come over. I also like always like met their minimum. Like they always be like, okay, if you buy a bundle, I'll come. And I'd be like, I'll buy a bundle. I'll buy, I'll buy more than a bundle and I'll pay the cab ride. And I would do that when I was working, but when I wasn't working, I couldn't do that. Yeah. It's so funny. Like I would treat drug delivery drivers really well, but at the time I would like not have enough money to cover the fucking like foot long sub getting delivered to me. Like, sorry, dude. Like this, that's fucking life. I'm broke. You know what I'm saying? Dude. And, and Riley is a big time singer songwriter guitar player musician fucking big time guy millions and millions of streams of your songs i listen to your new record i like your new record thank you very much it's sweet i, I don't remember what it's called we have to say what there's it's a called. lot of them out there no there's like a new one though the 2022 joint 
I put out an EP called So Certain. I already forgot. That's what, what I. That's what I. That's what I. Yeah, it's already to memory today. hold for me too. There's just a lot, I. I kind of just keep going. That's one of those things I've done since I've gotten clean. Is just go, go, go. More music, more music. And uh, you're. He's about to go to Europe in two days. Yeah, about to go to to uh, the the Mayo ass motherland where my. Uh, if you go back far enough, there's probably just um, alcoholic, like. Anglo-Saxons getting kicked out of a pub in a, like a cave somewhere. You know, that's where my people are from. Definitely. And the question is, though, like you toured Europe a million times, you said, and you did a ton of drugs in England and Amsterdam in the past. And you're kind of yes. like I was telling Riley about my trip to L.A. and how it was total PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like, are you fearful of that experience? Um, maybe at first, when I first got clean, I was. I thought it was a bit odd to be in all these places, especially different countries where I didn't have the, um, my drugs to fall back on. But now it's, I look forward to it so much. And there, I go to, I'm a meeting head. I go to meetings over there constantly. And it's awesome to go to meetings in other countries, um, sometimes in other languages where they're not even speaking English, just to be around people. That helps me a shitload. Um, but I have terrifying memories of being in Europe, mostly because I didn't have like drug dealer connections over there. So it was always I had to go to a train station. If you go to a train station anywhere in Europe and just find sketchy dudes like they're always there constantly getting burned. You had a crazy Italy story, right? Am I remembering that? I got knocked the fuck out by a drug, de- like a street drug dealer, just like a six foot five dude who like wanted none of my like I, I was really confident. I was like, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to get my. 100 euros back because that's that's ju- that's justice baby i'm gonna i'm gonna earn this back and so I'm, I'm gonna give this man a good stern talking to and he just like one like not even full throttle punch behind him or whatever not even like punching through just like a jab in my face and i was just like on the ground <laughs> see it's like i mean to what did you do did you did you did you leave what did you do in that situation after i got punched in the fucking head yeah. i laid there and um probably tried my best to not cry right because i'm a total pussy it's like chris rock situation you get hit like that how do you not curl up in a ball cry i mean like yeah what was i gonna do like get up and be like hey motherfucker like no the guy the guy like took it easy on me by knocking me to the ground with one like baby punch from him he was letting you know what was happening yeah he's like like you will not get that money back i absolutely sold you fake shit uh good night did he say that or that was what the punch no i mean that's just what the punch told me that's what that's what i could surmise and when is the last time like you're a meeting head you you've toured soberly for years now how long have you been touring soberly I got clean in March of 2019, so ever since then. Obviously, there's been a big lack of it since COVID stuff, but now it's coming back in full swing. And I've I've done like over 150, 200 shows, toured a lot clean. It's awesome. What's like in the beginning, were there, was there temptation? Did it feel like, like, I mean, like I was sober for, for I don't know, like, six years when I went to Los Angeles and Mm -hmm. still I wasn't like dying to get high. I just felt like out of my skin, you know? Yeah. And come closer. I want you to come closer to the mic. 
Not to me, to the mic. Oh, to the mic. Why are you Sorry. getting so close to me? Yeah, right here. Well, yeah, it's completely uncomfortable. My whole reality for many years was being high, and I took that away. That was what made me able to be around people and be comfortable without freaking the fuck out. So like you said, like being uncomfortable in your own skin. But here's what I do now is I play the gig and I do my job and I go the fuck to bed. And it's funny, like at the end of my using, when I was like at my worst, I had these fantasies in my head. I'm like, all I want to do is go to bed. Like, you know, that like voice in your head, like when you're super sick out there, just like, why the fuck am I not able to just go to bed? Well, I do that now. So I try to remember that it's like I have what I want. And I want what I have, which is just going the fuck to bed. Um, and I got to be honest, like, you know, I, I'm not I don't judge anybody. Obviously, I don't care what anybody does, but like, I don't like being around fucked up people. So I play the gig and I go home. It's kind of annoying. They're like loud. I was super loud and I was fucked up and annoying. What about the band? Um, the band all does their own thing. Um, everybody I play with has completely manageable lifestyles with whatever they choose. And, you know, like they don't go hard at all. I was always the one who took it too far. I was the problem. You right. Know. Right. So now uh, it's a great asset for me to be totally sober on tour and we're better than ever. That artistic and I bought that artistic. It's fucking bullshit. Like that's I, I'm not I don't even want to say in my experience for everybody I know who makes music. It is fucking bullshit that you have to be high to do it. It's total, but like, it's like a, it's a pipe dream. It's a fantasy. It's horse shit. I bought and sold it for years. Like I have to be fucked up or my creativity will go. It's like, no, like tenfold. I'm more productive. Um, I'm not perfect and happy all the time, but I'm way more productive. Our shows are fucking killing. We're the best we've ever played. And it's no coincidence. It's because I'm not high and I don't have this dream of like, oh, I got to be the the down and out junkie who's like fucked up the genius guitar player who's yeah. on drugs and it's a real turnoff um to a lot of people you know i thought people would love to see that but people would pay to see me and they'd be like fuck this this guy's all fucked up you know i wasted 20 bucks there's this uh cartoon called uh madagascar it came out years ago and it's like did you see it it's ben stiller uh chris rock i was a little too old for cartoons at that point but i remember it yeah. and, and it's funny well I don't know why I'm zeroing in on Chris Rock and, and Will Smith, but Jada Pinkett Smith was actually in that movie as the hippo, and Chris Rock was the zebra. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is... <laughs> Whoa, dude, deep connection. Right? I, I want to I like unearth yeah, for, that. For the listener at home, he's got charts all over the walls connecting all of it right now yeah, back to Madagascar. Exactly. No, but this is, this is something that I had this, this thought. The other day, I'm with my three-year-old, and I was like, let's watch. She had never seen Madagascar, and I Sick. like Madagascar, so I put it on. And it's the story of these animals that live in the Central Park Zoo, right? And it's a lion, a zebra, a hippo, and a giraffe. And the zebra wants to be free. He doesn't want to be in captivity anymore. He wants to experience life in, in the wild. And the lion loves living in the zoo. He lo he's the star of the show, and right. they give him steak and whatever. Eventually through you know a lot of mishaps they wind up free in madagascar and when they're free after like three and a half days or something of starving the lion realizes he's a carnivore and he needs to eat his friends dark and he sees them as steak right like because he, he didn't realize this because he was so well fed he didn't need to eat his zebra friend and i went um and I was watching the movie with my kid and the mm -hmm. movie ends and I go downstairs and I like was taking a shower before we were going to dinner and I put on the band like I, and I, I hadn't listened to the band in a while and I put on like the right. night they drove old Dixie down classic and I used to listen 
to that the the brown that brown album the band the band uh yep. in my apartment in in these buildings and i remember i used to get high and listen to that record or w- wait for my delivery guy to come over with heroin yeah, or whatever oh. and i'm um, and i'm thinking about how wired in i was to that time and like and in 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 madagascar the lion winds up like eating sushi and can stay on the island. You know, he doesn't eat his friends. Oh, and, yeah, very, very bourgeois taste. But uh, he can eat fish, and he doesn't have to eat his friends. And we, like, who were all hardwired to be drug addicts or alcoholics or whatever, yes. we find a way to have fun not, you know, doing drugs or getting fucked up. And you find a way to rewire, but still, I, I was having... I don't even know if it was euphoric recall. It was just, I loved living in that apartment and getting high and smoking cigarettes and whatever. And I had this, I don't know, this feeling like maybe because, and you got high when you were a kid, like maybe it's like that connection between being high and being young. I remember in that apartment, we used to like play video games and then we became heroin addicts. And it's like, (laughs) it's just like the connection though in my head, it's like, it's just weird. I, I don't even know if this makes sense. Like no, it, it makes perfect it sense. It made a lot of sense to me yesterday when I was thinking about it. But like when we are carnivores or, or drug addicts and we find a different path, like how how wired do you think it stays in us? Yeah, well, for me, I think it's always going to be a part of me. I'm all, I all, always say I'm an addict in recovery. I'm recovering, you know. Um, that's just classic shit that keeps me from getting sick again, man. And I was that that kept me so sick for so long. My big hang up before getting clean was like, well, I'm not gonna have fun anymore, and that's bullshit, man. Like that kept me sick for so long. I mean, and my idea of fun and creativity was really perverted. It's like it always ended up like on a rooftop in Brooklyn with like some fucking tweaker who wasn't my friend. And I, and to be fair, I was not their friend. Sure, you know, it's just all based around bullshit, you know. And once like that kind of clears up and you get a little time and you keep like working something, anything to stay clean, you'll see that's like, it's totally possible. You know, that's like, that was a big thing for me was I saw other musicians and they told me direct, like, it is possible to do this without being fucked up all the time. It's a hundred percent possible. It might not happen. It's not guaranteed, but it is possible. And that's all I needed. Just like that little mustard seed grain of truth in there. And I'm so glad I listened because I'm not dead. And it's also like, it's, it's, pathways like we get in our neural pathways we get into a rut where we do the same thing over and over and over again and you need to carve out new pathways you need yes. to you need to figure out how you're going to have fun if you could stay having fun the other way i would have stayed the other way but you can't i mean it's like impossible to stay having fun that way no no i was really sad the whole time and i i, I wish to god that or whatever the fuck is out there you know i'm no preacher but I wish to God that I, I had believed it sooner because I didn't. And it kept me sick for years. And it almost drove me to like an eventual suicide or just like OD or something. But I, it's 100% possible to do all this. And it's like a lot of fun. Like I love music more than ever. And that's not like not some preacher bullshit or like, um, you know, seminar, like live your best life shit. It's just like it is. It is what it is. And it's the best gift I've ever been given is making music and being happy and like really enjoying it for real this time, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, you, I mean, you have a pretty amazing deal. The fact that you have a music career that you get paid to go play and sing and like, and you recognize like if you're using, it doesn't happen and you get to keep doing it. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And that eventually like that, that will to like, just, 
you know, that desire to use and pick up or whatever eventually goes away if you keep doing what you're doing, whether it's like fucking therapy or rooms or meds or I don't know, whatever the fuck keeps you off dope, keep doing it. And that does go away. And, and also like music, I'm really lucky. I got great advice in the beginning. It's like, learn to get through a day without doing drugs. So I learned to do that. And then I learned to get through two days and then a week and then a month. And then the music came back to me. You know, it wasn't like, Ooh, like I have to be a musician first and then I'm clean. It's like, no, I'm clean. And then I get to do music. So I had a real desire to like not die. And then the music came back. That's always a question musicians ask me. It's like, my creativity will be gone. It's like, dude, just learn to be fucking clean right now. Just like, don't pick up, don't drink. And the music will get better. I promise you. Like that should be your number one right now. Do drug addict musicians like seek you out? I've talked to tons. Yeah. And I talked to tons of recovering addicts and drug and people who still use drugs. Like it goes both ways. Like I need to hear it from people who have more experience and are still on drugs to remind me of like how fucked up I was, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I got an email. You want me to read it or you want to read it? It's your show. You can read it. All right, fine. I'll read it. It says, hi, Dave. Show is great. Great guests and great content. I will probably break down and buy some dopey gear now. Oh, I have fucking dopey gear for you. Yeah. You're, you're a whole enterprise. Yeah. It's you LLC or section four, bro. No, I'm still just individual. Oh, nice. I'm still dude. just individual. Hell yeah. But like baby steps, we're about to do the dopey fucking coffee. It's all, it's all about to happen. Dopey coffee. It's going to happen. That's cool. Welcome to the wild world of, of dopey. Yeah, yeah. All right. There is a legit tele assisted ketamine therapy out there. And I have done about three sessions with it so far. I figured doing this in a semi-clinical setting under supervision of a clinician will get a bit more support from my wife, more mm. so than copping it in Bushwick and boofing a half gram in the bathroom. Solidarity. Yeah. I don't want to say the name <laughs> of it, but it must be the only one out there of its kind and easy to locate online. I I find this to be very helpful for treatment of depression and anxiety beats the endless cycles and combinations of antidepressants. I accidentally, he put in quote, swallowed the meds as they are sublingual and supposed to spit out the excess after seven minutes. Old habits die hard. And now he wants to tell a quick dust story. You want to hear his quick dust story? Hell yeah. All right. Um, have you ever considered ketamine therapy? Have you ever done ketamine? Me? Yeah. Tons. And? Ketamine therapy, yay or nay? Um, I've done ketamine recreationally. I can't speak to its therapeutic and clinical value. I'm 100% not a doctor. I think that's up to that dude. And whoever's asking, I would never do it just because um, I'm going to take it farther. That's me. That's how did me. you, how did you, where, where was your ketamine world? I mean, most, I mean, it was everywhere in Chicago. That was like, it was. And hold on, Dopey Nation, if you're in Chicago and you have a drug delivery service or do you cop in the street, write us an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, because Chicago is so culturally behind New York. That Chicago is such a bitch-ass city. I mean, you're a native New Yorker. Everybody in Chicago is constantly sh talking shit on New York. Everybody in New York is like, I literally never think of Chicago. I like Chicago. I know, that's I, the thing. I, I everybody in Chicago is mean, dude. They hate New York. So, But um, they're all you know, seven years behind on everything, including drug delivery. I did a massive amount of drugs and I always had to go to a dude's house. So, well, let's find out. I mean, I'm curious and tell me like, give us a little ketamine experience. My, my ketamine experience. I had one mm -hmm. when I was like, I don't know, 23. I went to some, I don't even, I went to like some rave. I was in a limo and someone's like, you want to try 
K and I sniffed yeah. it and I fell out of his car and I was high. And then my second one was I had this heroin dealer who it turned out it was ketamine. <laughs> <laughs> Someone yeah. secretly We've secretly replaced The heroin in your bags With yeah, yeah, ketamine that, yeah, yeah that happens And uh, and I would sleepwalk You know what I mean Like I would shoot dope And I would You shot ketamine I, Yeah but I didn't know It was ketamine That's, that's hardcore It wasn't on purpose yeah, You yeah. know And uh, I would wake up One time This is And I, I've told the story On the show One time I didn't know it was on ketamine So like But, but I was doing weird shit Like I would Get high on the couch And I would wake up Like on my back, like I would do a forward roll off the couch and I'm not a limber person. You know right. what I mean? Oh, yeah. But then one time I woke up outside my apartment and I woke up because the door closed <laughs> behind me <laughs> and I'm in a t-shirt and underwear and like I have nothing. I have no keys, no money, no, no, I, I had to like knock on someone's door. I called my father in the middle of the night, that man, and yeah. he came down to Grand Street to give me the keys. Like what? When did, was the first time you did ketamine? Give us a little primer on ketamine. I've got a, I, my first ketamine connection is actually incredible. So um, I'm sure most people know, but those who don't, like ketamine is used by veterinarians to um, either euthanize or put pets under for surgery, kind of thing. Um, and I'm not even say what city because he can get a shitload of trouble. But there was a person in my life back in the day who worked at a veterinarian clinic and was skimming shit off the top because it comes in these liquid vials and he would bring them back and sell them to people. And we, we cook it up. You have to like cook it up to Hold make on. it. He was pinching the ketamine. He was pinching cat off the fucking vet. Um, cause he, he, he was like, that's his, a rhyme. Yeah, dude. That's like a, <laughs> yeah, dude. That's like a straight up red man rhyme right there. Um, but his job was putting the dogs down, you know, it was like, Oh God, talk about a fucking awful job. His job was putting dogs and cats down. And so he was pinching off the top and he was bringing home these vials. It comes in liquid and then you, you, you cook it up in like into a fine powder or whatever. I forget the process exactly. And we'd snort it all fucking day. Like, and he'd bring it back all the time. We were getting, and it, it was highly illegal what he was doing. Like, I'm sure like not good news. This is years ago. <laughs> I just um, like that you said a fine powder. A <laughs> very fine powder. And snorted it. And I remember listening to music and really enjoying the music and then you go under and you kind of just pass out um that's probably the only time i had like a straight k-hole because this shit was fucking fire it like worked and i really enjoyed it every other time i did it which is probably like let's say 50 other times was snorting it um while also doing coke or heroin usually at a party it was omnipresent everywhere in the UK like 10 years ago. Like you go to a bar, it's as common as like a dude doing coke in New York at a bar. So you'd snort it and you get like kind of wobbly. I think it's making, I think it's coming back in a big way in New York. A lot of my friends who are still using um, love ketamine. I think it's like totally omnipresent here. I think I would love it. I never had a source. I, I, I like the guy, the dealer was like, I'm going to kill this guy for giving me. I was like, I kind of liked it. You know, yeah, drugs cut with cat are super lucid. Um, it's like it's wobbly. I remember I was in Manchester in the UK, which is like, I mean, if there's one world capital of ketamine, that's got to be it because that's where like you know tons of rave culture, sure, all the musicians. That's that hacienda spot, right? Exactly. Like all the musicians there are famous for being like Molly fucking ket, like zonk melted fucking hippies. So I went to a rave there, and I remember just like. And I, you can like black out on that shit. Like I remember snorting some and then like all of a sudden I'm in a cab and like my feet are like floating in the air. 
Um, and I really didn't like it. It didn't work for me as much as it did when I was first doing it. It makes me feel completely out of touch and uh, stupid, you know. All right, I, I I like that. Let's get to this guy's dust stories. But I'm happy. I'm, I appreciate your ketamine experience. Yeah, not a fan. All right, did you smoke dust? I don't think so. You mean like angel dust? Yeah, PCP. PCP. I I smoke crack. Maybe there was like some PCP. No, in there. PCP. Is, I know there's a market difference. I've never. That's the one. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of drugs I didn't do. Like I didn't do uh, any of the. Uh, research chemicals but i never did pcp and the guy i started the podcast with with chris who was the worst fucking drug act he had never done pcp either but pcp it's like formaldehyde who's it who, like who's doing pcp like what community is doing pcp is it like uh like hillbillies is it like big in the gay scene is it like what okay i don't know i, I know these this is what i know about pcp okay i know in the 80s People were smoking PCP all over the place because it's in all the Beastie Boys songs about smoking dust. Sick. Um, I know that at Katz's, there was a manager who got addicted to PCP while he was managing the store. And now he's like homeless selling fucking scrap metal in the street. Yeah, it's a one-way ticket to like your life being fucked up, I think. PCP is like... And also, in Trading Places... uh, they, they, they frame Dan Aykroyd of being a PCP dealer, angel dust dealer. That's yeah. all I really know. So I don't really know what community is doing dust. Dopey Nation, if you're in a dust doing community, please send yeah, an email. Yeah, I want to know everything about your life. All right, here we go. Send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. All right. I hadn't sm- and this is a good New York City story, so I appreciate that. I hadn't smoked dust in probably three or four years. Uh, he was in AA and NA at that time. He had joined a pretty well... Oh, he had this guy. I had joined a pretty well-known hardcore band, and a month or two later, I wonder what band it was, uh, and a month or two later, we were all hanging out by the van on Avenue B next to Tompkins Square Park. No no wind in the air, and they passed me something they were smoking. Oh, man. But I didn't catch a whiff of it yet. They said it was weed. Why do people do that with PCP? <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> At that point, I was only drinking smoking weed in the odd mushroom trip. Uh. So I took a long pull and I was like, hold on, this is dust. They laughed, but I was a little upset. So upset that I took another pull. From then, for the next few years, I launched myself into serious drug use with plenty of PCP, crack, and oh, pills. Shit. I sort of tried to blame the singer's name. I wonder who. It's got to be somebody very famous if he's not saying the name of the band. Yeah, uh, probably me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, were you in a hardcore band back in the day? No. But ultimately had to be accountable for my own actions. Also, I had passed a dust joint to a few folks since then and told them it was weed. It's kind of like a rite of passage to get dosed with dust. Wow. Also, in New York, dust was mostly soaked into mint leaves and sold in wax paper bags. Same bags as the dope here. They are all had brand names like Crazy Eddie, Purple Rain, OPP, Lethal Weapon, Red Devil, Coma, The Vapors, and many others with cool rubber stamps or stickers. I guess part of the reason dust isn't around much as advertising brands and drugs. Oh, I guess part of the reason dust isn't around much as advertising brands in drugs turned out to be a bad idea. For the drug user, it was great. As you, as you cloud, usually... I don't know what that means. As you could usually depend on known brands to be reliable and not give you some strip naked and attack cop shit. One time at the Purple Rain spot, the dealer was super cool and like, yo, 
This batch is super strong, and you really can't smoke more than a tiny bit. Share one bag between five of you. So we looked at each other, and we were like, well, if that's the case, we'll take a bundle. He was right as we smoked just a few bags, and my brain snapped. I was staying at my friend's apartment, which was basically the basement of his mom's house. I was going to lose my shit and needed booze or pills to come down and avoid completely snapping. It was like 3 a.m., so no liquor stores were open, and all the drug spots were closed. Wasn't doing heroin at the time. So I snuck into his mom's kitchen, and the only thing I could find was a bottle of Chardonnay. So I downed that whole bottle, and in like five minutes, and it brought me down from the edge. Also, getting dust usually meant going to Harlem for it. In the 80s and 90s, for me, there was no gentrification yet, so white boy like me stood out like a sore fucking thumb. Also, could cop in the Bronx, Newark, and sometimes Avenue D on the Lower East Side. Damn. So going there was hella dangerous. I got jumped by groups of kids multiple times and harassed by cops many times. One time, they made me strip butt naked right on Park Avenue and 116th Street to see if I was hiding any actually clinched it in my ass and they didn't find it. Hell yeah. Another time on Martin Luther King Day, during a weird, crazy snowstorm, I waited for the dealers uh, to finish beating up some fucked up white boy, copped mine, had my friend Scary Pitbull with me, and was walking down 116th Street smoking a dust joint in this blizzard with the Pitbull, was holding the joint with the hand closest to the storefront so they... So the cops drove by slow. They didn't see me inside. This is a long email. Hand joints and got on the cop car intercom and yelled, don't smoke any dust today. I think they recognized me, but somehow was unscathed that time. Many other times I got caught and had to do some one, two, three nighters in the New York City tombs. Good God. There you go. Doesn't sound like PCP works for him. I wonder who, I mean. I mean, I guess it works and it's also not working. Well, if you're in the Dopey Nation and you ever had a good PCP run, please send in a story. Yeah, we'd love to hear from the very small minority who had a good PCP run. Is is PCP like psychedelic too? It's like insane amount of speed and also just like I think heady disassociative dissociative and like psychedelic. I think it feels like probably like exactly that, like disassociative, wobbly. Um but then, but then sometimes it hits people like this crazy upper. I remember we used to buy mushrooms off this. We used to buy acid off this guy in the meadow years, a million years ago in, in Central Park. And some weird, crazy guy that you would definitely call some kind of melted hippie wook something. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. Um, he was like big and jacked and he sold us like a half ounce of mushrooms. But they were not. Re- we were like kids and they were not really mushrooms. And then we saw him on the street with his feet on the mailbox, like and his head on the mound. He's doing p- vertical push ups on the mailbox. And oh, he, yeah, King. And he was like all jacked up on, on PCP. So, yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, I never did it and I'm not I, I'm not going to do PCP. And then the other PCP. I can't even do the keto diet to get in shape. So you can't yeah. even do th- th- That's funny. Yeah. I I did it. I did the keto diet. Yeah. I lost a bunch of weight and then I, I yeah, stopped you're hot doing as hell. it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, fucking the other place that PCP was was training day. You know, the guys like Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. You get wet. Yeah, but it just seemed like he was just like, Oh, I'm having a bad trip. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know. I always associate PCP with just like jerking off in public or something, I guess. Well, that's I'm sure that's a thing. I'm sure that's a symptom I'm, of the years. I'm sure that's a thing. So like we I, I I we've sent some people to uh first of all, subscribe to YouTube and go to Patreon and buy dopey gear. 
I forgot to say all support that stuff. The, support the gig. It's a big, important gig. Get out there and, and show your love for the dopey nation. There you I go. I'm not being paid to say that. No. I'm just a true believer. He just got a Diet Coke, and, and he's welcome. I did get one uh, bottle of Diet Coke, so I have been compensated. Nice. Um, but uh, we, I don't know, years ago, after the first DopeyCon, we sent this kid, Josh Clark, to rehab. And I've checked in on him a bunch of times, and we've checked on him again, and he tells what's up with him and kind of this crazy fucked up story. You ready to listen to it? Yes. Awesome. Now, before we get to Josh, I just want to tell you guys about athletic greens. I know this is crazy. Uh, we had athletic greens as a sponsor and I took athletic greens every day for 30 days. And when it was done, I ordered more because I loved it. AG one is this incredible supplement that combines 75 vitamins, minerals, high-quality, local-sourced superfood, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day off right. I take my Athletic Greens before I have my coffee. It supports mental clarity and alertness. Tons of people take something in the morning. I never took anything, so I've been taking Athletic Greens. The founder took it to help his stomach and I have to say, it makes my stomach feel great. It gives me energy. I think it gives me clarity. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes. And for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious foods to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the United States. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com dopey. Again, that is athleticgreens.com dopey to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, now here is Josh. <laughs> There we are. So we, when we started, I'm Dave. This is Dopey. This is kind of our behind the dope or catch up with an old friend and dope. And when we uh, did DopeyCon, we got one scholarship to Mountainside. And the person who got the scholarship to Mountainside, of course, was Josh Clark. Welcome back to the show, Josh. How are you? Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Doing good. You've, and you've never not delivered the dopey goods. And I always love checking in on you. Of course, when you went to Mountainside, it was in the aftermath of uh, your girlfriend. Was she your fiance or just a girlfriend? Uh, just girlfriend. We hadn't planned to get married ever. But you lived together and she was the love of your life. And her name was oh, Ashley yeah. and she overdosed and she died and it was horrible. Um, but I think it's yeah. worth mentioning that. Uh, first of all, I think it's very important to honor Ashley. I think it's important for our audience to know that we die when we use often. Um, and also just so they know what you had to go through, just so that they're reminded, not that it's like, I want to, I'm not trying to drag you around in the misery of it. You know what I mean? Right. No, I, I know what you're saying. So, so what the fuck is going on? Josh, Josh's grandma just died too. I, I don't want to make this just a tragic thing because in general, Josh right. is thriving. It's always, 
He's a he's a chainsaw mm-hmm. artist. He has a beautiful girlfriend. He has a goat farm. Josh, tell tell the doping remind the dopey nation everything that's going on the, on the good side first before we get to the tragic stuff. Yeah, yeah, good girlfriend. Like you said, chainsaw art. The farm is doing awesome. Sheep, goats, chickens, guineas, the whole nine yards. Just started going back to meetings. So uh, that's new. It's been about a year and a half, but I'm digging it. And I took a guy, it was his first one. Yeah, I'm doing something. <laughs> that's yeah, classic. it was his first I was, meeting. I was sure you were, you were, yeah, sure you were right? signaling a goat, a goat not to come in. Um, but no, it's your dad, <laughs> your dad ruining a recording. So, so you were saying a year and a half since what? A uh, sense of meeting. Um, I went to one right after I got back from L.A. Um, I went with Ashley's mom, actually. She wanted to check out the scene, um, which, you know, she liked it, too. But, you know, it didn't stick for me initially. I mean, I relapsed right away. So obviously my mind wasn't on the goal, you know. I mean, it, it was like immediately. So. I think the dude that picked me up at the airport actually before we got back on the hour drive, he was like, so I don't know how you feel about this, but I brought some blow along. I was like, well, all right. I mean, <laughs> I said no until we got back home and then, and then I indulged and that you know was, what? you know, I am so coming the- back from sober living after rehab, you know, but sure, I'll do some coke. Why not? It's perfect. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, if people don't remember, Josh went to Mountainside on our first scholarship, and then we got our only scholarship we ever got to Sober Living with Asher Godelsman's place. What was that place called again? Transcend? Transcend Recovery. Transcend Recovery. It's good yeah. to give them a plug. And then Josh was there during yeah. when COVID happened and he got stranded in isolation mm-hmm. in, in halfway in LA. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? I want to go home to my, my goat <laughs> and my sheep. Um, and then a <laughs> right. se- series of relapses and then a bunch of recovery mm-hmm. and uh, a bunch of stability. And, uh, and, and Josh and I are, are, you know, we're in, we talk every once in a while and text every once in a while. And I'm always happy to hear about him. Um, about you, Josh. Um, and then you just texted me. This is my horrible cat, by the way. Do you want a cat? Does your Does your farm need a cat? Because we have one. Yeah. Yep. Got one. You don't. You don't need a. You don't need a cat that sprays every bed she gets on top of. You don't need <laughs> nah, that? I think yeah. I'm all right. All right. I, I appreciate uh, the offer. Sure. Sure. How about a dead cat in the mail? Would you bury it if I shipped you a dead cat <laughs> in the mail? Um. Seriously. Uh, so Josh just texted me about, about this story about your grandma, and I just thought it was a worthwhile story for the audience. Yeah, I, uh, I feel bad. All the stories I bring to the show are always kind of, you know, tragic in some way or another, but this one has a silver lining. They all do. Uh, they well, all have a silver lining. Uh, no, true. Man, good point. Um, well, last month, uh, 
my grandma went in for a colonoscopy and they found out she had a large mast in her colon and by the an, a week later she was back in the hospital and they had realized that the cancer had spread to her bladder her spine her skull her eye i mean it was everywhere um so her decline was pretty quick i mean from when she found out to when she died it was a month um the last three weeks of it she, she was on hospice the whole time she didn't didn't want to die in an old folks home so nobody in the family seemed to be able to handle being around her like knowing she was dying you know i mean it made people uneasy so me and my mom stepped in and we were with her like 24 7. um mostly my grandma ironically wanted me there to administer the medicine she said she thought i knew my stuff so uh which put me in a precarious situation though because i don't know if you, anybody knows how hospice works but here in wisconsin if you get two doctors to give you a diagnosis of six months or less of life they uh they send a couple nurses they come to the house they drop literally drop off a bag full of morphine and liquid lorazepam with uh, a myriad of other drugs in there um so for you know like three weeks I mean, she didn't actually go there was oxycodone too she was taken first she was trying to uh stay lucid she she was mentally all there all the way till the end um and she was trying to stay lucid to give time for everybody to come and say goodbye uh she handled everything amazingly i mean i it was super impressive like when, dignified when, when they when they drop off this bag full mm -hmm. of all of these drugs you know the morphine and yeah. the lorazepam is it is she on an iv or or do you have to no. actually do you have to inject her uh, nope they gave us that's what i thought initially that it'd be some sort of injection they were uh syringes that would squirt wow so okay. so it just so squirted oral, into yeah, her mouth yeah. right 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 yeah. so so she's like josh i know you know your stuff but like are you scared to be in that situation i there was some fear but honestly it it was all happening so fast that i really i mean and well yeah there was some fear definitely i mean it was it was they were on my mind a lot but pretty quickly it it was easy to not be enticed by them just being with her you know i mean knowing that she needed me and and i realized you know as tragic of a situation as it was there was a lot of beauty in it that along with the pain and if i you know dulled my senses that would eliminate me taking that all in too and she needed me you know she needed me to move her around like she definitely was depending on me you know i didn't i didn't want to let her down especially when you know this is literally the last bit of life she has left you know 
she needed you um, and she needed the medication. Like if you yeah. if you if you were not present right, or right. she didn't have the medication, like that's a double whammy potentially. I remember when when we had spoken a bunch of times that, you know, I don't think you ever said your mother was a horrible drug addict, but I think you mentioned that no. your family. Uh, okay, so she didn't have an issue with uh with any of that. No, stuff my either. my aunt and my uncles, um, like yeah, I, I mean everybody in the family has has their thing. You know, my sister's into Coke and crack and, you know, my older brother, he's huge drinker. He was a military man. Uh, my aunt, you know, she died of the fentanyl overdose. She was way into meth and then fentanyl at the end. I mean, it's our, our family's saturated with uh, <laughs> you, drug you use. Could, yeah. You could say you have a family history. So you're, but you're doing what's necessary. You're, you're taking care of your grandma, which is an amazing thing. And you're not stealing the drugs, which is also very great. You know, I think, think, you know, when, when my mom died, right. My mom died and she was on a bunch of pain meds, but I wasn't around when she was, when, you know, I mean, I I didn't have access to steal her drugs and I, and, and, and she thought she was going to die. Nobody else thought she was going to die. But then after she was dead, I rifled through the closet and found she had Percocets and I took a bottle. Um, And then I was kind of worried about it. But then my sister went through the meds and I guess she had two bottles. My sister found another bottle and I never got in trouble. uh, And I did the Percocet. But so so tell us about the end of your grandma's life and how you had to deal with it. Um, well, you know, like I said, pretty quickly, I, like I didn't expect to be. Yeah, wait, in wait, this hold situation. on, hold on, Josh. We got, we got a technical problem. All right. We got a little technical problem because Howie forgot to put his phone on do not disturb. Huh? Somebody's got it. Fucking Howie, man. I swear to God, considering how much money I give him, I can't believe, I can't believe the <laughs> kind of stuff that I have to put up with. What happened? See, these phones are not reliable. All right, so we're 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 back at the at you being. I mean, it's also like you've never done end of life care like that, have you? No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, I mean, I was obviously around um, Ashley dying, you know, overdosing multiple times, but yeah, nothing remotely close to this but it and it was weird it was such such a kind of similar situation but totally opposite you know like explain that i even told my um like i told my sister she's a nurse and so she stopped by a couple times but like i said she even being a nurse and having witnessed like 200 other people in their life she couldn't handle it being our grandma you know it was hard for her um but the uh, situational wise, like with Ashley, she was trying to kill her own pain using the opiates and it kind of unintentionally kept leading to her death. And I, my role in that situation was to step in when she was dying and stop her from dying, you know, right. and in this situation, like I told my sister, I'm like, it's it's kind of strange. I have a little less anxiety now because 
I'm not waiting to jump in to try to save her. I mean, I'm just jumping in to give her the meds to help with the pain. You know, and like my sister said, she's like, well, yeah, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I mean, and it was true. You know, right? Because she's 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 gonna die, and that's kind yeah, of like yeah. it's 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 guiding her to the end. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's it's so it's so crazy to be in both of those scenarios. And I did it did it, right. and I bet you it it flashed Ashley back to you. And oh and, yeah, yeah, major triggers. You know, like you know, well the opiates being there, the death being there. You know, and then the dying. Um, there. Yeah, it, it brought a lot of things to the surface. But I think in the end, I thought, you know, it ended up being a healthy experience. I mean, I'm sure it could have went either way. You know, it always can. Were you close with your grandma in your life? We were we were pretty close. Um, we got way closer, you know, the last three weeks there when we were together 24-7. But... Growing up, you know, she moved away at one point, but otherwise, uh, this, our family owns a, a little convenience store, and there's a house attached to it that I grew up in. My grandma ran the store, I mean, so we saw her, you know, daily, and she would babysit us and everything. We were, we were really close. Um, and, but like I said, we got way closer there at the end, obviously, Describe what that's like. Like what kind? I mean, I'm just interested in that in itself. Like, what kind of stuff did your grandma say at the end of her life? Like, what what kind of stuff was she talking about? Well, you know, initially she there was a little bit of shock from the whole thing, but uh, like I said, she handled it so well. Right at right away, you know, everybody else in the family was kind of freaking out and emotional. Well, they were the whole time, but from the shock of it, you know. And my grandma, she was like, it's like, you know, because I told her, I'm like, you are handling this shit really well. You know, I'm like, I'm super impressed. Everybody else is freaking out more than you are. And she said, well, you know, Josh, she said, I'm 84 years old. I had a wonderful life. I have more wonderful of a family than I even realized. And I traveled all over the place. It's like I was married twice. She said, I'm, I'm ready to go. She said, I, I never expected this would be the way that it would happen. But, you know, you, you can't pick that all the time, you know. Isn't so, that amazing I mean, just to be ready to go? Uh, like, I think, right. I think you're, I mean, like, it's an amazing situation you got to be in. Um, mm-hmm. And did she get high? Was she ever like, oh, shit, I know why you, why you like these drugs? Like, she was in so much pain there because I told, you know, once she start elected to start the morphine and the pain then it was weird like i was saying she was doing the oxycodone up until the tuesday before she died she died thursday morning and she was holding off for everybody to come and to say their goodbyes as soon as the last relative came it was a cousin of hers they were going to come wednesday and she said tell them i can't wait till wednesday they got to come tuesday they came Tuesday by the time they were done with their, you know, conversation and she left. That was about one thirty ish or two. And um, immediately grandma was ready. She's like, the pain 
it's that I've just been fighting it off, but it's radiating up my spine. It's like, I, you know, I got to have the morphine. And so I gave her like the, I gave her the first dose and it was, the pain was so bad, you know, it was, I kept asking her, you know, I'm like, you should start to feel warm, fuzzy, you know, like, are you feeling anything? And yeah, the warm embrace of the opiates, you know, <laughs> and, and it was, you know, it wasn't. So I ended up giving her the, the first dose of the lorazepam and that it still, it took about two hours before it really spine you know i kept because i wanted to give her the next dose but it took a while but finally she was like oh yeah my legs are starting to feel fuzzy she's like it's starting to work you know and then from there on out she was you know quite this coherent you know she would she would let out all kinds of random uh pearls of wisdom uh, in her, her, uh, state of nodding, you know, like at one point she said, she said, I kissed my own lips and I don't even have a fancy ring to show for it, which I thought was quite the, (laughs) right. Was she like, Josh, can you put on, can you put on Pink Floyd dark side of the moon now? Cause I'm feeling, (laughs) I'm really feeling it. No, she did ask me for a cigarette. (laughs) No. <laughs> that's really that's what i was gonna ask Did she, was she a smoker she yeah. was and she asked you know she was at that point she i don't think would have even been able to smoke it she was you know so disoriented and stuff and after the next time she was a little more lucid in between some of the doses before it got upped even more i told her you know i was like grandma or actually my mom told her she said uh yeah, yeah, you asked Josh for a smoke. And I was like, hey, grandma, I didn't give it to you. Which, I mean, in hindsight, I, I wished I could have, you know. But it wouldn't have done any damage at this point. But uh, I, feel like, <clears throat> I feel like I would like you to be at my end of life care. But I definitely want you to give me the cigarette and play me Dark Side of the Moon. Um, <laughs> I, I have a weird question. Like when the family's mm-hmm. coming, right, and the fa- and she's saying her goodbyes. Are you in the room for that? Um, most, uh, almost all of them. Yes, there were a couple uh, where you know I'd I'd back off for a while. We'd leave her with them, you know, let them have their alone time, and then come back to it. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, me and my mom actually uh, recorded hours and hours of the conversations and the stories that my grandma would tell us, you know, the history of the family and all the stuff that would be lost if we didn't remember it or it wasn't captured, you know, and that what, what kind of stuff was she saying to the family when she wanted to see them for the last time? Um, a lot of it, you know, was pretty much just, good goodbye you know and and it, it definitely she even said it was more for them like right. i said she was okay with it so it was more to let them feel like they were able to get a conclusion you know right. and didn't feel left out or something yeah um, it's, uh, it's really heavy uh but it's also like it's an amazing thing you got to do for your family you know, like it no, really I, is. I totally mean, and, and I bet you, you were really connected with your mom too, because like, yeah, it's a real, yeah. 
it's a real amazing situation. And it's also like a really crazy situation because of your drug history, the story with Ashley, the story with your aunt, and the fact that you're administering these drugs to your grandma. So <clears throat> in the end, the cancer took her. Did you give her a... Did you give her a crazy high morphine dose before she died, or was it just kind of all the same? The last, the last one I made extra big for. Um, I wanted to because I even made sure to ask the nurse, you know, like for legality type purposes. Even I was like, so if she starts aspirating, and I just given her her morphine dose because they were spaced out by an hour. And the other one isn't coming up soon. And the nurse was like, just give it to her. I was like, all right, I just needed you to tell me that was okay. And um, ultimately I ended up having to call her another time to reaffirm that, you know, that was all right. And I, I would have done that earlier because I knew my grandma was ready for it. And, and it's just a, you know, it's a horrible thing to watch. Um, once the, the death rattle starts, you know, and they're, they are dying, you know? Um, but at that point, my sister was there and I even, I came out and I showed her up one of the syringes with a larger dose. And then I said, can't I? And my sister was like, no, you can't. Cause I think, uh, her being in the medical field, she's used to, you know, that's not an option. They just have to wait it out. So I ended up having to wait till she left. And it was because it, she had left about four in the morning for work or about 430 or something. And at that point, by the time the doses were on the half or at 15 minutes, so like on the hour, like 4.15 and then 5.15, 6.15, and every other dose, the lorazepam was added in. And already I had the, the oxygen monitor on her finger, which again, oddly enough, like I always had on Ashley's, and it was having trouble registering a pulse or and when it did it, she was at like 40 percent oxygen and i mean like her vitals were going you know right. and so at that point yeah i mean i i made a larger dose and i i told her you know the the pain's going away you can you know it's all right it's all right to uh to slip away and I gave her a kiss on the forehead and gave her her dose. And strangely, I hadn't slept much the entire, the entirety of it, you know. And after I gave her the dose, I fell asleep on the, the recliner next to the bed. And it wasn't even, uh, it was about 30, 40 minutes later, I woke up and my mom was sitting next to grandma's bed, the hospital bed in the living room. And she said, uh, she said, Josh, um, I can't get the, I can't get a pulse to, to read. And she said, and she hasn't taken a breath for 10 minutes. It's like, you know, I'm, I think she's gone. And that was at, uh, about eight. 
8.15 ish. They called it at 8.55 for time of death, but it took them a little while to get there, you know. Um, but then the nurses showed up, you know, and I, and I had like at that point, I had the option to steal the drugs. I mean, the whole time, but definitely there at the end. I mean, even when my sister showed up, like I said, she's a nurse and she has her own uh, drug issues, but she shows up and she sees at that point that grandma's been taking the morphine. She can't swallow anymore. So she's like, well, I call the oxys. And I was like, well, all right. You know, <laughs> there's only, I was like, there's only seven left, but all right, they're all yours, you know? And I gave them to him and she said that she's like, well, you can have the uh, morphine and the lorazepam. And I was like, oh, all right. You know, so then I almost had like a green light, you know, even didn't my she know your, doesn't she know so, your deal though? Yeah. Yeah, she does. All right. <laughs> yeah. We got a conflicted relationship. I get <laughs> yeah. it. Well, your fam I mean, yeah. your family is like, is way more in the using department than the recovery department. So like, yeah, why would they sure. think that you were going to do anything like do the next right thing around these yeah. hard fucking narcotics? So she's like, you can get yeah. the morphine and the lorazepam. She takes the oxygen. Yeah. Your grandma dies. Yeah. And uh, and what do you do? Mm -hmm. So uh, there were, like I said, there was some time in between there. Well, I had the whole night, you know, if I wanted to uh, pull some of it out and make it all look good for when the nurses showed up in the morning. But I didn't, you know, I just, I waited the nurses came they actually had me be the witness as they destroyed everything and i mean that was kind of strange too <laughs> you know like thinking like come on i'm already letting you destroy it do i have to sit here and watch it and well, why do you think it? why why do you think why do you think they do that they like that can't be part of uh, the, they need the... uh yeah, they said they need a third party because otherwise they could be in cahoots and they could be pocketing the drugs. So they need somebody that's, yeah. But anyone and could they, sign off and say yes, and then they could split the drugs, right? right. I mean, it's like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird honor system situation. It is. The whole, the whole thing was very, you know, weird honor system. But I think that's also um, but, about end, end of life. You know what I mean? It's like at the end of yeah. life, it's like keep somebody comfortable and hope for the best and yeah. whatever. So what do, what do you see them destroy? You see them destroy the morphine? Yep. The, How do they do the it? Remain, do they destroy it in a syringe yeah. in their arm? I'm destroying this morphine. <laughs> right. yeah. No, they just dumped it down. They, were, they asked me, they're like, is it all right if we just dump it down the sink? They're, they said... Uh, Nobody's gonna like try to recover it out of the sink, are they? Yeah. And I was like, well, if somebody does, I think we're gonna know. Right. We're gonna be able to spot who's doing that. <laughs> also thinking, and if somebody does, it'd probably be me, and I would have already done that. So you know, coast is clear. You. Right. The sink actually goes <laughs> yeah. into a bottle right now. The drain goes right into a bottle. Yeah, right. right. Just waiting yeah. for this moment. Um, <laughs> It's like you can imagine like your your younger brother lying under the sink with his mouth open. Yeah, right. um, so uh so so that they, they pour it down the sink, nobody gets it. And how do you wind yeah. up with the uh the Lorazis? No, not the Lorraz the because uh, it was liquid Lorazepam. They dumped that down the drain too. But uh, then they're uh 
as you were saying about when your mom died, there was a giant box of medications then. So then after they had left and taken her, I ended up going through that. And there was an, a nondescript bottle. It had no label on it. It had just a marker written on it, Alprazolam, 0.5 milligrams. And there were like 10 of them in there. And I, I snatched that. I ended up actually given half of those to my sister too. Um, and then there was a bottle of tramadol, which, you know, tramadol fucking sucks. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's dying for tramadol Who's to relapse on. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. But I didn't, I knew a dude that would you trade me for some weed, you know, Linda, Linda, mm-hmm. like she always said that tramadol really hit Linda hard. Like she used to, like she mm-hmm. had a back thing and she got a bunch of tramadol and it hit her heart and she had, she, she destroyed the tramadol. <laughs> she poured it down the drain <laughs> because she was like, I'm worried I'm taking too much tramadol. But, uh, so you, it was the, the Alprazolam. That's like, that's like clonopin. That's like generic clonopin. Uh, right? Xanax. Xanax, right. Xanax. Yeah. Yeah. This fucking cat. But yes. Stop jumping on me. What the <laughs> fuck am I supposed to do with, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Anyway, um, so you, you, you give away five of them. You still have five. And this is where yeah. the story turns sinister to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, they, you know, they, they come. The, the corner, actually the corner didn't come. The, uh, the guy that ran the, the um, funeral home, he came. He acted as the coroner, which we act, it's a smaller town. I mean, he went to school with my brother. We all know each other, you know. Uh, he left. They took the body, and me and my mom we were kind of just, you know, left there, like, almost in shock, kind of, you know. Sure. And she was like, well, let's let's go get some breakfast. So we went and we ate. We end up, I didn't get home. It was about two hours later I rolled into my house, and uh, Emily had been there the whole time, you know, taking care of the farm and everything. And one of my other friends, he had done a hospice and actually um, elected suicide in uh, Washington where he had to take a whole course. And so he, you know, literally ended people's lives for them when they wanted. And so he was like invaluable to me during it. I was talking to him, you know, he was helping talk me through it and stuff. Cause, cause it's hard, you know, to give somebody the doses when you know that it is, even though you know, they're dying, that you are essentially killing them, you know, but it's right. a, the best thing. Right. Um, and we showed up uh, real I was home about 20 minutes. I had time. I told Emily about the Xanax. um, And I told her about giving the oxycodone to my sister. And she was, I could tell she wasn't very excited about me, you know, having the Xanax. And I hadn't told her about the tramadol yet, which was, I had a little tote of stuff. And I went out because my friend came, which ironically, he was, starting a relapse on alcohol he showed up with a bottle of liquor and and a case of beer and he was like yeah i i uh had some free time before the woman gets home so i decided to hit the liquor store which i mean that didn't even sink into me till after but emily 
realized what was happening that he was relapsing, you know, but I was just, you know, I fell apart in his arms, you know, I thanked him. Like, I mean, it was a really hard situation, you know? Yeah. 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 And, uh, during that time, Emily went through the tote and saw the tramadol and was assuming that I wasn't going to tell her and that I was going to be relapsing on tramadol for the next like week or whatever because there was like 20 of them i think i don't and, even know uh, if you could if you could re- i mean like no, i don't right. know like what, what kind of no like, i don't I think mean, so yeah anyway. <laughs> right but she doesn't know that. No, I agree. you know what i mean it looks right. like pills it's painkillers yes. i get it yeah yeah so she comes out and out, we're outside and she's acting all frustrated and stuff with the dogs and upset and i was just kind of confused she ends up uh get, getting really pissed off and telling my buddy luke you know she said luke's got to fucking leave we got something we need to talk about and i had no idea what was going on and i was like whoa whoa luke is supporting me right now like i literally just saw my grandma die two hours ago and he helped talk me through it like this is healthy for me you know and she got in her truck and stormed you know drove off she uh, ended up coming back fairly quickly and then at that point she stormed into the house she grabbed some bags and during that you know i'm kind of following her and i'm like what the fuck you know what the fuck is going on right and she's like you she said you you stole your grandma's fucking tramadol and you weren't gonna tell me and this is all as she's like grabbing her stuff in a frenzy, you know, and she jumps in the truck and, and I just was kind of like in awe, you know, I was like, well, it's tramadol, <laughs> you know? And, uh, then she goes, she's like, and you killed your grandma. She said, you killed Ashley. You've killed three people. She and so said I'm that. just like, yeah, she said, she said that. Oh my God. She said I thought, that. I, I, okay. So what did you say? I mean, I was in total shock. Uh, she got in the truck at that point as she was saying it. Her window was down. I jumped up on the truck and had my arms tucked, holding myself up into the window. And I was like, why would you say that? Like, why would you say that, you know? And she threw it in reverse, flies out onto the highway, and then throws it into drive and floors it as i'm hanging out the fucking window (laughs) and she says uh she's like that was stupid to get on the window or to hold on she's like now i'm gonna kill you and i was like well jesus christ i'm like stop the fucking truck so then you won't kill me you know and luckily she did and she did it gentle enough that i didn't fucking fly forward and skid across the pavement but she let me off and I walked back down the road. It was like a mile or so and just kind of in complete shock, you know, um, I, uh, I ended up, I didn't, uh, I mean, I, I took, took one of the Xanax, but I mean, I probably, you know, I mean, it was five, five Xanax. I, I really wanted to go. I should have just taken them all if I was, you know, <laughs> if I really wanted to get high. But I mean, it was so still, I mean, the, the want to relapse wasn't quite there. I did end up drinking 
the next night. And then that's when I decided, cause I had been stone sober. I think I took two hits a week, the entire three weeks, you know, I was with my grandma. She didn't care for the smell of weed. So I tried to, you know, even keep that away from her. Um, but then after I, you know, I, I drank, I was feeling all depressed and shit and drank. And, uh, that's when I decided to hit the meeting up, you know, because I, I mean, well, it, you it, went it didn't, through it. I mean, you, you, you're, you're yeah. doing end of life care. You're dealing with all these drugs. I mean, like people talk shit about a program, whatever, but when you're in a program like that shit is right here. When you're not there, yeah. it's like a lot of craziness. And then your girl, I didn't even, when you texted me, yeah. I misread it. And I thought it was the mm -hmm. friend who said that shit to you. Yeah. Not no. Emily. He, he, yeah. No, so, it, it so, was, um, so once, once, you know, you're in, you're in horrible shape, you know, you took a Xanax smoking, bud, yeah. fucking got the cachet of tramadol drinking and you're <laughs> like, and you lose Emily and you're like, fuck yeah. this. Right. Yeah. That, and that's when it's like, what am I doing? Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And you know, then fortunately too, I've been going to therapy for PTSD and my therapist, she's awesome. And has pretty much been pushing the sobriety because as I mean, like I knew, and as everybody knows, you can't get over trauma if you're fucked up, you know, your brain has to be working right to process shit. And so that's been motivating me even more, you know? And so then I drank and like the next day I was just a little more depressed still like it didn't help, you know, like it never does. And then I ended up going to see my therapist that that uh, following Tuesday because I had seen my therapist right before I left for therapy that Tuesday. I told my grandma, I was like, you can take your oxycodone at uh, two or I'll be back as fast as I can, you know, by three. And we if you need the morphine and stuff. And she was like, I think I'm going to wait for you and then like i said i got I rushed home i got there and she was waiting she was like i need the morphine you know um but i got i had seen my therapist literally just before you know she ended up a couple days before she died i mean so that's all been healthy too you know how did and, it, uh, uh what happened with emily after all that we have since um she's stayed moved out more on my by my uh, choice at this point but we've been cordial we've been talking she spent the night a couple nights ago when that kid was born um i went actually to go see ashley's boy and so i asked emily if she could come to the farm and watch the animals and stuff because i was worried about the kid while i was gone you know she ended up spending the night it, it went great but we've we both agreed like we need to work on ourselves. You know, she obviously, she's got anger issues and, um, fear. I mean, she's got, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And fear. She's scared of being hurt. I think is a big thing. She had a, an abusive relationship before this and, uh, she had, she's sober, you know, now like over six years, six and a half years she from drinking. Or no? She smokes. She butter. does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, um, like a chant. Well, I think uh, 
Listen, I, I think that when you're actively doing the work, you benefit from it, and you know that, you know? Um, and most people. I mean, it's very hard to not to, to be an addict, not do any work, and not have shit pop up. You know what I mean? Even if you're doing right. work, shit's going to pop up. The work just helps yeah. you deal with the shit that pops up. And, um, man, like, your stories are so crazy. Like, because it's like, I mean, and... And when you say a kid was born, it was a baby goat. Like people who aren't working on goat farms don't realize that a kid is a baby goat. Oh yeah, that's true. Like you're dealing <laughs> with true. you're dealing with life and death and 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 all these shades yeah. of recovery in this town right. where you know your family's using. It's a lot happening, you know. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, that um, even that morning, even those two, there were two kids born. One of them didn't make it, and I had to put it out of its misery and I'm unfortunately a drug felon now so I can't even have guns so I had to use a knife which is horrible you wow. know you have to just so, yeah what well, you slit its throat to bleed it out that's yeah crazy. yeah that's crazy yeah its muscles were uh malformed that couldn't swallow so wow but yeah I mean it's uh like yeah I couldn't make this shit up you know no well, you could if you were if you if you were writing if you were well, some true, crazy but super creative. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I I it's always I mean, like I love talking to you, and uh, even if you have a horrible story, I know that these stories help people, and uh, and I think it helps you a little bit to unload it in oh, a situation sure. where where you for know sure. that I understand what you're talking about. And I also know that the audience benefits from this and I'm happy yes. you're doing meetings and, and, and whatever your recovery, whatever form your recovery takes, you know, the difference between a program you're working or not working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, mm -hmm. um, I'm also just happy you're still in my existence. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to reach out man. to me. You don't have to fucking reach out to me. Um, and I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And you don't have to answer, you know? Well, I'll ne I'll never not answer. If I if I don't answer, I'm probably I'm probably using. <laughs> so if I don't answer, I'm probably using. Um, or, or or birthing a goat somewhere, or murdering my cat. I might be at the bay murdering my cat. Catching a dead cat in a box. Yeah, Josh, Wisconsin. Um, but uh, but please stay in touch. Let me know what the hell happens. You know, Emily's a good one. Don't, don't mm -hmm. throw the, the, you know, the, whatever the expression is, the baby out with the bathwater. That's such a horrible <laughs> expression. Right? Yeah, it's it's horrible. Like expression. who the fuck does, who did that? Right? What, what? Yeah. It's horrible. Baby out with the bathwater, especially with all these stories of dead goats and grandma dying. It's like, Oh my God. Um, how is Ashley's son doing? He's doing really well. Um, I mean, it's obviously, he misses his mom, you know. I mean, it had been a few months since I had been over there. What made you and go so over? It was, you know, the wanting to start a program kind of thing. Like I just knew, I knew he had, he'd be waiting for it, you know. And and same with their parents, they always want me to come, you know. And I knew it's it would be good for me. Right. It's like, yeah, and you can. Yeah, exactly. What's his name again? Rowan. Yeah. So it's, I mean, having accountability to Rowan 
is a big piece yeah. of this thing. And you just keep it going. Your fa- your family's the worst part. Your family's family's always getting high for Christ's sake. But it sounds like you and your mom got closer with this thing too. Oh, for sure. We did. And her and my grandma reconciled. They had their own issues. And so it was beautiful to see them, you know, reconcile that and get closer right then there at the end, you know. And and you might have great... been one of the reasons your grandma might have wanted you there was so that you could be the bridge between her and your mom too. Yeah, yeah, very, very well. Well, yeah, it's all. Thank you, Josh, for 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 calling in. It's nice to see you. Um, Always nice to see you. Do some fucking dopey chainsaw art, and please stay in touch. All right. Always will, man. All right, thanks, Josh. Appreciate you, man. And you're, and you did a good thing. You did a really good thing. If I don't, you know, I mean, all the shit you did, like, that's life. You know what I mean? And, and the fact that you could, uh-oh, what the fuck happened? Uh, the fact that you could be there for your grandma and your mother and, uh-oh. Sorry. Some, someone's coming over for the liquid morphine now. The morphine's <laughs> in the sink. Um, no, I'm sitting in the store, but it's closed, but somebody just came to the door. All right. So go, go sell, go sell. What are you selling? It's liquor, beer, pretty much candy. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Can't make this stuff up. You should write some of it down though, Josh. It's amazing. Amazing stuff. All right. Be in touch and thank you. So that was Josh Clark. And when you, and I love your, your Wook world. I wish I looked at hippies and saw Wook in my head. Yeah. Wook is an especially dirty hippie. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean they're good. It just means they're they're dirty. You spend a lot of time with hippies, don't you? I grew up around them, and yeah, I, I see I see Wooks worldwide. They're they're a, they're a, a beloved people of me. So when you see Josh, because that was video. There's actually the Josh the Josh Clark behind the dope. We called it is uh mm. is available on video on Patreon. We're gonna put it on YouTube because he wants his sister to sweet see. Sweet guy, it. sweet guy. Did you say this guy's a fucking Wook? Total Wook, and I gotta say, he's he's from Wisconsin, so it hits right Wisconsin guy, so it hits extra hard home because he has the huge Wisconsin accent. He's like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. He's yeah. the sweetest guy. So sweet. He also has a sheep farm. Dude, <laughs> Run, dude rules. Running the fucking convenience store, like the smoke shop, selling booze, fucking slaughtering lambs, and uh, having to deal with all that shit with his grandmother. That's some serious fucking shit and not not just the emotional aspect but just like being an addict and not taking the drugs yeah it seems like he's got a lot of challenges ahead but it seems like he's managing it i'm so happy for him and i'm also just happy when anybody in the midwest which is just pilled out fucking part of america gets clean and is working on it and asking big questions all my love for the homie back in uh, america's dairy land nice I like that. And you're, and you're, you're a Midwesterner and like born and bred. You were also like, you had a big church life as a kid. Yeah. How does it inform? Cause I know that you, you work a tidy program. Like you do, you're into it. I I'm into it too. And it's enjoy it. Is it weird to enjoy it? It's weird for me to enjoy it. To enjoy, like, you mean, like, the spiritual aspect of recovery? I've always wanted to be spiritual. Like, uh-huh. like, and I never, I never could because I had this voice inside of me that said, you're full of shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, just, you're full of shit. Yeah. And, um, 
And I kind of used that voice on, on a lot of things, a lot of people. And I, I did for a long time until I needed a spiritual solution. So like when someone is giving me a suggestion, like to ask, to be connected to a higher power, to Mm -hmm. pray, to do that stuff. And it's like, then you get a glimmer of it and I get more of it. And like, so I'm, I'm seeking out a spiritual experience through prayer, meditation, whatever, meetings, all this stuff. But I still feel weird to say it or think it or be it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were like in church and stuff. Like, how does this experience now, like, how is it affected by that experience? Yeah, well, I have so much resentment against Christianity. Okay, so like that's people's big hang up when coming to rooms of recovery sometimes. Not all, but some are just like the God thing. And uh, first off, it's like you, you can make it whatever you want. It's your program. Nobody gives a fuck. Just don't do drugs and don't drink and you, you have a seat here. Um, but for me personally, the God thing wasn't too scary. Like I grew up in a cult, okay? and um, What was the cult? It's just like a super hardcore assembly of God, like Christian fucking church that like had like tons of rules and like tons of shame. And like, you know, you have to give a shitload of your money to it. It was, um, at worst traumatizing and fucked up at best, just weird and gross. And is your family still in it? No, no, no. They're all out. So how did they all get out? How did, what was the exodus of your family out of that thing? It's just like, they got like old enough. I think once I was um 18 and my sister was 18 they were kind of just like yeah this is fucking weird. i think they went and they were part of so they could like give my sister and i like a really nice foundation of like here's like a way to live and here's a method to live and here's like a bunch of people who are all fucking crazy behind the scenes but like have this uh way of living that seems to be grounded in um good and at, at i mean i guess at best you could say there's like some element of like happiness to her public service to it. Um, but it was all gross and fucking backwards. And once I was like a teenager, I was like, fuck this shit. Um, but so like I was in a legit cult and AA and NA and whatever a has never seemed like a, cult. like first off people in cults do what they're told, you know, like people in NA and AA do their own fucking thing all the time, you know? And so it's never seemed like a cult to me. And spirituality to me is like the most far out, exciting, psychedelic part of it. And it's honestly because I'm such like a subversive person. I've always hated what everybody else is doing. At this point in the world and in the culture, it's like fucking far out to be like, yeah, dude, I got a fucking higher power. So like that's a bit of ego shit being like, yeah, dude, I fucking got God on my side. What right. the fuck are you talking about, right. bitch? Right. Atheist ass bitch. You know, like yeah. for years I'm like, I'm an atheist, right. <laughs> which is fine. You know, like I, I don't care. Um, but like now it's like so subversive and far out. And like, to me, it's kind of, this is going to sound lame, but like it's countercultural to be like, yeah, fuck yeah. I got spirituality and like, it helps me stay off dope. Um, so that's what works for me. And I accept any and all like far out opinions of what God is to people or what spirituality is to people. Um, and I think it's helped me connect to people way more. And especially in those rooms, you know, it helps me connect to other people. And I got to say, it's pretty spiritual for uh, a drug addict like me to go into a room and be so open and candid about what I'm thinking that day or what fucks me up or what makes me happy because I was the most closed off, calloused person who's ever lived and a real asshole. So for me to be making these like active changes in my life, like if that's not spirituality, like I don't know what the fuck that is. If you want to get down to it, it's just like therapy or something it's I don't connection know. it's connection i have connection and that's like the spirituality i've always been after and i never had that 
ever. Amazing. So beautiful. I love it. Look at this. It's beautiful. Yeah, dude. It, and it works, dude. It works for a lot of people, you know? Um, and if you don't want to believe in God, nobody fucking cares. You can do it now, let life. me ask you this. You know, we all have our fucking... Nobody's perfect. We are not saints. We are like, not. And I have a lot of, like, weird vices, like, around food and internet and stuff oh, yeah. like that. What What vices do you have like and and like do you try how do you manage vices like in in sobriety my vices are uh always wanting more money um like right. ne- never having enough like always like working i work more everything though right i need everything yeah it's like a sick it's an actual sickness like or compare and despair that's a vice like oh this person has success i want that success i deserve that success physical things like cigarettes right um romantic life like dating like i always got to have more and more and more you know it's tough and i manage them by like actively talking about them to other people and being honest and not keeping fucking secrets what's the date what's your dating world like you were in a relationship and you broke up and then you moved here super single right so how do you manage how do you manage being a famous folk (laughs) prog rocker can i say folk prog rocker sure what would what do people say uh, I guess like the umbrella term is like indie rock or something. Yes. Okay. Even better. Indie yeah. rocker, famous indie rocker in Brooklyn. The world is your oyster. You're single. How do you manage it? Um, well, I want to be very clear that um, most people who like my music are middle-aged men. <laughs> and while I admire them, I don't really want to date them. It. You know, yeah. it's not my bag. Right. Um, you know, who knows? The future's open. It is. Um, I might get really lonely at some point. But uh, I don't. I'm, I'm, I kind of keep to myself these days, and I'm really focused on just playing really good music right now. Um, that's not something I chase after. When I was like in my early 20s, I think that's the only thing I cared about was playing the gig and Oh, like what, who's here? Who, who, like what hot chicks are here? You know, um, that's a sickness in and of itself. Totally. Um, that can become a problem and it has become a problem and it, uh, can become a problem again if I don't just like kind of dial in. Also, I'm getting fucking older, dude. I can't just like chase ass all over the world. I think that's like, you know, I'm too, I'm getting to, I'm 32. My brain doesn't, I'm not the same person I used to be when I was in active use. Um, so I'm a completely different person now. Um, I just like to go to the hotel and, and watch shitty B movies with David Spade in them. All right. What do you like? What, what are you watching? Uh, oh, dude, you know what I watched? And it was like, it was like one of the most upsetting movies I ever saw. Actually, I was sick. I had the flu and, uh, Don Cheadle's, uh, movie about miles Davis miles ahead. Was it called Birth of the cool. No, it was, I think it was called miles ahead. Was it called Birth of the Cool? I don't know. Maybe. I, I Birth of the Cool was the doc. Birth of the Cool was the doc that came out a couple years ago. I saw it at Angelica. Right. It's fucking tight. Yeah, that's fine. But did you see Don Cheadle in the 90s? I didn't see I Dude, you have to. I, I, it's it horrible. No, it's horrible. Yeah, I heard it's a giant piece of shit. It's horrible. But I need you to see did it. Like, do the voice yeah. right, though? Was he, goes, he like, yo, what's up? He's like, I need to get some brown liquor. Yeah, I need some brown liquor. <laughs> My dick ain't hard right now. <laughs> and, the, and Ewan McGregor plays a music journalist. And they're like, he like go, like go he brings Miles to Columbia University to cop coke. And it's like, he's like, he's like, he's like how much? The, the college kid is like, how much do you want? He's like, an eighth? An eight ball? And Miles is like, I need a quarter. Oh, and, and then he's like, he's like, how much? And he goes, and then Ian McGregor's like, you only got $500 miles. That's my, my Scottish. And yeah, he, I only got $500. Thank you. And, uh, and then Ewan McGregor takes out a pen and 
and has Miles signing the college kids' records. Like he has like in mm-hmm. a silent way and kind of blue and all these records and Miles like, nah, I don't sign records. It's just it's the fucking worst. I can't help but talk about it because I'm such a Miles Davis fan. Yeah, Miles rules. And like, why do they do a movie about him in nineteen seventy six? Although, did you ever read the Miles Davis autobiography? It's one of the best autobiographies ever written. It's probably the best. It's fire. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you, there's You're like page turner. There's like some scene where he's like he like has a gun and he parks his Porsche on Riverside drive and he's, and he's on, he's on crack and he's, he's fucked. Yeah. It's so good. And I, that's probably why they chose that era. But like miles, you want to, I, I want to hear miles Davis in the kind of blue era or even before that Charlie Parker era. Yeah. Or like him hanging with Coltrane. And yeah. Shit. yeah. You want all that. Um, God bless Don Cheadle. Uh, amazing actor. Um, but the, I remember watching the trailer and being a little like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. It's bad, but I, I don't know why I made you talk about that when you've never even seen it. I was hoping you got to see it and then you got to come back. Because we love the arts. You got you got to see it and then you got to come back. I'll check it out. I have a I have a voicemail from a dude in Kansas. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. All right. From the from the Midwest, the motherland. This is the Midwest show. Midwest dopey show. Yeah, the Midwest special. Yeah, yeah. All your all your Midwest pilled out heads. Like, let's have a call and show sometime. Here we go. Midwesters only. Hi, Dave. This is Josh from Kansas again. I've got a little bit of a dopey story, and this one I'm not proud of whatsoever. Um, and again, it has to do with crack cocaine. Funny thing is, I've always hated it, but at one time, it was a huge love of my life. So this story took place, um, well, several times, but I'm not proud to admit this because it did happen while my wife was pregnant. Um, she too uh, used drugs with me, um, but we ended up getting a divorce, and basically she grew up and I didn't, um, so I continued to use, but this is just a little tidbit of what our marriage was like. This poor girl was nine months pregnant, and I was still partying, partying, and unfortunately I was even lying about it. I was doing crack behind her back, and, um, So the way I would not get caught, she's no stupid woman though, she knew what was going on, but this is just one of the ridiculous things that I would do not to get caught. Let me paint a picture of our apartment. It was a pretty good sized apartment, like 1,200 feet, um, 1,200 square feet, and um, our bedroom, the master bedroom was clear back in the back of the apartment. Um, So you came down a long hallway into a gigantic living room and then in the middle of the living room There's a spiral staircase that went up up to the upstairs and At one time when she wasn't pregnant and we still had fun together. That was our little party spot that upstairs kind of like a loft there was a fireplace up there and a um, a Little patio out on the roof Um, really cool little nest we had well so while she is sleeping, um, I managed to score an eight ball or a teener of crack, or even maybe I even got coke from my neighbor and cooked my own crack. The point of the story is, is I didn't want to get caught. So I, and I'm also in construction, so I have lots of tools all the time, um, all kinds of things available, and I'm, uh, as a lot of addicts are, I'm pretty resourceful, little. Uh, 
ingenuitive, I guess, um, but I would take a laser level. Um, so it's like a level, a little torpedo level that would shoot a laser out, and I would take that level, it had a magnet on it, and I would stick it to the doorknob of our bedroom. So this little level is sticking on the doorknob, shooting a laser out, out to the family room. Well, I always partied up in that little loft I'm talking about, so I would stick a mirror just right so it would shoot the level up through the hole where the spiral staircase went upstairs, shoot a laser up there, hit another little picture frame, and shoot the laser onto the wall just above the TV where I was probably watching porn or doing some other disgusting thing upstairs. Um, and so the little laser dot would be on the wall above the TV and I could always see if she would even barely wiggle the doorknob. So, yeah. Anyhow, she ended up coming out of the bedroom once or twice and seeing the level sticking on the doorknob or it fell off as she came out of the bedroom. And she just knew that I was up to no good, so she was pissed off, of course, like any pregnant woman would be as her husband is being a complete douchebag. So, anyway, that's just one of the little... Uh, dumb things that I did not proud of it um, bless her heart she's still sober she's really responsible and um, I have been sober since July 19th of wait a minute July 20th of 2019 so man I love your guys' show it's uh, become a huge part of my recovery I try and push it on all kinds of people out here in Kansas you're just killing it Dave um, keep doing what you do and um, like to say hi to your dad Alan he's awesome um, I love Aurora of course Chris was awesome um, Jessa Reed was probably my favorite guest that you had that first uh, meth pee or meth owl episode I about died laughing um, so anyway stay strong Duppy Nation toodles for Chris Bye-bye. All right, that was Josh from Kansas. As the Midwest dopey rolls on. Yeah, the wheat, the wheat-fed, crack-smoking... Laser beam shooting. Yeah, man. That's like, he's like the Steve Jobs of like shame technology. You know, it's like <laughs> pretty inventive. Wow, what a resourceful guy. Yeah, I mean, like, he went for it. And uh, I just like this guy. I like his voice. Yeah, and jacking it with laser technology going on. It's pretty cool. And my dad will like that... Uh, that uh, he liked it. You know what? Hold on. Dad. Dad. Come in real quick. My, I, and, uh, and, and Riley got to meet my dad. My dad, my dad always gets a kick out of meeting whoever's going to come on the show. Very kind. Very kind soul. Very kind eyes. You can see right in his soul through his eyes. Very beautiful guy. That's nice. I, I love it when my dad's away so I can just act like this is my studio and my dad's here. I feel like very tight. I feel like he's cramping my style. But the, the voicemail said how he wanted to say a hearty hello to you. So I wanted you to come on the show for a sec. Oh, hi. Hello. So uh, and dad, I know you pay very close attention to the dopey reviews. Correct. Yes, I do. And I, and I believe you mentioned that there's a few new reviews. Yeah, Joey Pepper has come back with a five-star review, by the Holy way. Holy smokes. 
Joey Paper. He left and came back in a, in a, in a fit of relapse and resentment. Well, welcome back to welcome, the Five Star Club. Welcome back, Joey Prepare. Dad, do you have anything you want to say other than that? Oh, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles for Chris. All right. Well, we've come to the end of another exciting episode of the show. Riley Walker in New York City is going on tour. So if you're a European dope and you want to catch Riley, where are you going to be? Uh, go to my website, RileyWalker.com, for all European tour dates. Holler at me if you want to come see some gigs. Um, if you want to talk recovery, I'm, I'm there. I love you. Nice. And, and Riley said if he's around in October, he's going to be playing DopeyCon. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Uh, we'll absolutely fucking shred. It'll be a really good time. Amazing. Well, thank you, Riley. This is awesome to have you on. And uh, what do you think? In terms of all the podcasts you've been on, and I know you've been on a few... How does this relate rate, rate against those? Every other podcast is dog shit. It's this is bullshit, the best right? Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like music and I like recovery, and we always get to talk about both of those things. Those are my two favorite things in the world, so it, it means a lot to me. All right, I want you to watch Miles, Miles, Horrible Miles Davis movie, and that's your homework. Yeah, I got homework. And thank you. And, uh, and stay strong, everybody. Hope you're doing well. And fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles for Chris. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious, and it's just gotten me through some really hard times. And Though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. <clears throat> Wanna take a walk around the world. Wonder what it do me any good. Till I get some honey in my pockets And I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood I want to be good so bad Be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Want to take a ride up in the sky Watch as airplanes just pass me by And I want to see a Learjet liner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive I want to be good so bad I want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had in my burned out basement listening to the dopey show Home friends I had her on this little radio I keep checking on my pulse because it feels like I might die But the thought straightening up sounds so much better when you're high And I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had
Well, I hope you all hear this. Makes it through the uh, big inbox of emails. Feel free to play a clip on the show if you want. I, if not, I know it kind of sucks. All right, I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, y'all.